Welcome to Ahead of the Game, a podcast brought to you by KMT Partners. I'm Andrew Montessi. In today's episode, Stacey George shares the story of her company, Smart Art, a high-end picture framing business sought after by South Australia's top architects, designers and premium homeowners. Stacey talks about finally starting her own business, which had been a dream since she was 13. But of course, reality had much more ups and downs than expected. The banks wouldn't back her and she was forced to borrow money privately. Finding the right premises was another ordeal. Stacey narrowly avoided a period of business homelessness, moving her factory, stock, showroom and office twice in three months. Not to mention the challenges of juggling all of this with three young children. But there's been plenty of highs and valuable lessons learned, which Stacey shares in our podcast. This podcast is brought to you by KMT Partners. KMT is a leading accounting and wealth management advisory firm in South Australia, assisting you to emerge, renew, grow and build resilience in business, themes which are central to this podcast series. For more information, visit kmtpartners.com.au. Enjoy our chat with Stacey George from SmartArt. Stacey, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Now, can you take us back to 1996? You've decided to set up your own business. You're looking at the potential premises. Mm -hmm. What's going through your head? What are the emotions? Well, uh, I pulled up out the front of the business, the the, um, business that we were going, no, the business premises, because it was a vacant carpet shop (laughs) covered in the most dreadful looking stickers and um, dreadful advertising. And I thought, oh, do I want to do this? So I or don't I want to do this? I'm so nervous. I was terrified. And my husband, who's um, fantastic and my greatest uh, support, um, said to me, listen, Stace, I'm going to go in here. I'm going to negotiate the lease and I need you to tell me whether you're going to do it or not because I'm not going to negotiate the lease if you change your mind, you know, this is for real. So I thought, oh, well, here it is. It's either that. It's now or never. And um, so we dived in and, yes, we signed the lease. And, uh, yeah, that's how it started. So why start a business? Where did you see the opportunity at the time? Well, I'd worked for somebody else um, for a few years and uh, then my husband and I went overseas for um, three months, four months. And I think while we were over there, we were... I mean, I didn't consciously say, you know, this is what I'd like to do, but I came back and, and he was the one who pushed me and said, look, you should do this, you should do it. You're good at it, and so he was the one who forced me into it. But there was gaps, and you know, having worked with somebody else, their business is still in existence. There's plenty of room for mm-hmm. everyone in the marketplace. So yeah, no, I, I knew there was an opportunity there. Was there like a particular point of difference in the market that really interested you at the time, or like where uh, did you see the business fitting into the into the market? For us, well, for me particularly. My um, area of expertise was mainly working with interior designers and architects, so that was one thing that separated us um, from the pack, so to speak, in, in regard to framing. The framing side of the business, technically I knew that I could get people to do that side of the business, but the actual um, customer relationships is what I'm really interested in, so that's what we focused on big time. And I'm very proactive. I'd go out and I'd talk to architects, I'd talk to designers, I'd take out artwork, I'd show it to them. uh, And uh, that established our business very strongly in that market. So virtually the commercial side of the business was what carried us. And then of course the retail that came in on top was the cream. Mm, Okay. So after you signed the lease, 
Like, what did you do next? You've got all these ideas, I'd imagine. Like, oh, yeah, thousands of ideas, yeah. So I had to uh, just gut the whole place because the people that had been there before had, you know, they were carpet. Uh, wholesalers and they had purple shag pile in the toilets which I still remember today <laughs> was crisp when I ripped oh, it no. up however yeah we just went in and we just um, redid it all exactly how we wanted it um, we we're on a budget of course which I think any small business who starts off you're on a tight budget but you'd have to do it nicely in the line of work that you're oh in. yes absolutely yeah I mean I know exactly visually once I'd made the commitment I knew exactly how it was going to look so we had it all painted out, built petitions, did the whole thing, and it looked amazing when we when we started. It was really lovely. What about the funding side of it? How did you how did you initially cover those costs? Did you have to deal with banks? What steps did you go through? Well, when we before we um, began the process of looking for a um, premises, obviously we had to find the money, and uh, we'd come back from overseas, being away for four months, and. Um, we went to the banks to see if they'd give us any money, which they didn't. They wouldn't touch us with a 10-foot barged pole, even though my husband had a freehold property, which he could have just laid down on the table as security. That's not what they wanted. They wanted us to go and find secure jobs and so then they could fill in the paperwork and we ticked all the boxes and then get the money, then resign and then start the business, which it's just was just ridiculous. Kind of madness, isn't it? Oh, look, it's just insanity. I mean, we had had secure jobs. My husband had paid off three properties. I mean, we were not what I consider to be high-risk individuals. However, they've got their boxes to tick, mm. tick and we just didn't tick those boxes. But um, my husband said, uh, don't worry about them, we'll find some money from somewhere else, and he did. And uh, we got private funding, and uh, they lent us 40 grand. Um, and for sec the security of the property, and we paid that forty thousand back in two years because the business was doing so well. Wow! And that was, you know, when you're starting a business from scratch, it's it's. I remember going to the bank and standing in the bank queue, and someone in front of me banked seventeen hundred dollars. This is twenty two years ago, and I thought, holy moly, if I could bank seventeen hundred dollars, I'd be just doing a backflip. <laughs> if I bank $1,700 a day, I'm having a fit of depression. But back then, that seemed like such a... But there's sort of things that go through your mind when you're running a small business. You, you know, you sort of think, oh, wouldn't that be just amazing? But we did. We eventually did all that. Do you remember your first customer? Oh, gosh. Um, I remember my first... Yeah, I do remember my first... Uh, one of the first designers that came in and to see me. Yes, I do. And she's still with me today. What was the, the feeling? Was it kind of just excitement or did you feel almost justified or vindicated for the jump? Uh, I don't think you ever really stop and think that you feel justified or vindicated mm. or you, you just you just run, you just go with it. And I really, um, I, I think I'm doing something I really enjoy and I think that's paramount for anyone who's um, running a business is to really enjoy the day-to-day -day of what you do. And however small or minute that day-to-day -day is, you've got to enjoy that process. And I do enjoy that process. I like my clients. I like talking to them. I have relationships with my clients. And I think that in this world is um, becoming uh, more and more of a rarity. Mm. Mm. Did you have a clear marketing plan when you started out or was it a bit of gut feel? Gut feel? 
Um, I remember having to do a business plan, which for one of the banks, and I'd written it all out and that bank said that it was unachievable and that because um, it wasn't typed on a, um, a computer, they just didn't think it was professional enough. So uh, funnily enough, that bank closed its branch here in Adelaide and moved back to another state two years later. So it's ironic, but, you know, these are the things that, you know, <laughs> you just got to put your head down and be very committed to your, to your mission of what you're doing mm. and not be put off by, um, I suppose when you, are, when you put your mind to something, I, the, the more no's I get, the more I dig my heels in and want it to make it a, a yes. And I think that is, um, if it's something that's really important to me. Seems like it almost pushed you and, and drove you to push even did. harder. Yeah, I thought if you're going to say no to me, this is going to be a yes. What were some of the other triggers for growth in those early years? Because you mentioned you were able to pay off that $40,000 in, mm-hmm. in two years. What, what was the driving factors there? Oh, I just think you, when you run a business, you've got to, you've, you've got to make money. That's, that's, your, that's part of your mission is to make a, a decent living out of what you're doing. And you just have to adapt and change. I, I think being personable, and I still think that works today, is going and seeing people and doing face-to-face contact. Not that I do any of that now because um, the business is so well established that, you know, a lot of the clients that I'm targeting already know who I am and where I exist, especially in Adelaide because the design and architectural side of um, Adelaide is a very small group. Mm. But um, I still now do a lot of marketing through Facebook. Um, You know, social media is big. I've had to go on a learning curve with that. <laughs> I still but, find that a struggle. But in the early years, it was a lot of knocking du- on doors. Knocking on doors, absolutely, yep. And I knew I had a good product to sell and I knew that because I had a lot of contacts with the artists that I that I dealt with over the years and I had a lot of... Uh, and I remember going into a publishing house in um, Melbourne and uh, I walked out with about $30,000 worth of artwork and they just said, yeah, just take it take it and do with what you want with it and you know I had to pay for it as I sold it but they were really good to me I had great uh, support so that was good. So in terms of where you're at now um, can you give us some context in terms of the size of the business so like how many staff and all that sort of stuff whatever you can tell us. We've narrowed the staff down Um, we had had more staff when we um, had when the children were little so we had um, I think about seven staff but now we're down to about four staff. But we, we don't. We, the premises is not big enough for us really to have any more staff. But um, we, that may change in the future. But at the moment, we're happy with it the way mm-hmm. it is. I don't want to build a big, huge uh, monster uh, of a business. I am happy with the business being small and providing us with the lifestyle that we we're happy with so has that always been your focus to to create a business more for yourselves to be managed by you guys to to maintain your lifestyle or did you initially start out with all these plans to grow yeah, and, yeah. absolutely I think everyone starts out with big plans I think you have to because that sort of just pulls you on to the next step but I think having children uh, that slowed that down and your focus changes you can't I mean I've had ideas of um, franchising smart art and 
and um, you know doing that, going down that path. But as time went on, it just would have taken a huge amount of my time, and I did want to spend that time with my children. So that was, I was happy to do it, keep it as it is. So in terms of having kids, um, I guess based on what you're saying, it seems like you were quite ambitious for the business. Then you have kids and you start thinking about um, thinking about life a bit differently. You do. How how challenging was it to run the business and have kids? I mean, it almost it does. Sometimes it gets um, talked about almost in a cliche way, this kind of business and parenting thing. But I'd imagine it was absolutely um, massively <laughs> challenging. Well, it's like it's just like parenting. You don't know what you're in for until you're right faced with that challenge of uh, looking after a little human being. But um, I think, well, we had three children under four, so really quickly we had three children, and um, I just get think it just gets down to priorities of what what you really want to do with your life and where you want to go. You know, I don't, I didn't want to have you know, the big house with all the everything perfect and the perfect cars in the driveway and the perfect two children. That wasn't my dream. Um, so the three children come along and suddenly we've got to juggle the business and, so you, and, and my husband and I decided that we were going to half, do half and half. I'd do the lion's share of the business and he did the lion's share of, <coughs> pardon me, looking after the children. So he'd bring the children in and I'd, do, I'd feed a, breastfeed a child. He'd take the children, that child off to the park and then there was more children to breastfeed and oh, I just went on and on. It was madness, total madness. But I, I look back and I still don't think I would have done any way, I don't, any other way. I have no regret that I have missed anything with my children because I can go and replicate this business or do anything with my life, but you can never replicate that time with your children. So that, for me, was my overriding priority. And, yeah, so that's, that's how it happened. It was just a sheer chaos, but it, it worked. So did you – I mean, you said it's sheer chaos, but did, are you, like, a very systems-driven person and very planned? Like, how would you describe yourself in that regard? Or are you more like, yeah, the kid needs a feed, so bring – like, just, <laughs> just roll with it kind of each day? Uh, underneath, I'm probably pretty planned. Uh, my husband probably wouldn't say that, but I – uh, I am pretty planned in what I'm what I'm doing, and the children were. I was lucky; I had really three easy babies, and I think I feel sorry for mums that have babies that are hard to feed, or you know, mine were all easy; they all slept well. So that for me was was I was able to do what I could mm. do because of that, and I was fit and well and healthy, and I think all those things um, make it a, an easier task. So I was just lucky that it all just worked for us. I would imagine there would be a number of um, people who own businesses and say might have their first kid coming. Yes. What advice would you give to to someone in that position? Oh, my God, I couldn't give (laughs) advice to someone in that position. It's it's such a personal thing because you cannot cannot delegate your parenting and you can't... um, uh, tell someone how to raise their child because you, you, when you have a child there's nothing there's no manual you just have to go on your gut instinct what feels right for you mm. I think is really important it's important in everything but particularly when you're raising children so yeah no that's good advice in terms of I guess continuing to reflect on the business when you look back now at those early days 
were there some mistakes that you that you oh, look at and look, what, what were they? Oh, look, I still make mistakes today. I still do things that I think, gosh, I should have followed that up. I didn't do that correctly. I could have handled that better. Um, I think there's a few things I've learned. I've learned along the way never to handle anything when I'm angry or annoyed, mm. which I think um, happens when you run a business because you do get annoyed. And dealing with the public, sometimes their expectations are... Um, totally unreasonable. Not very often, I have to say. I've, I could count on my hand, right hand, the amount of times I've had clients like that. But um, yeah, there's things that that do upset you and that you don't handle as well as you should. Mm. And I think, yeah, handling something when you're upset or angry or annoyed is not the best thing to do. And I've often written a letter and put it into the drafts in emails <laughs> and then not sent it because I just had to get it off my chest. And then I think you just got to be... <clears throat> try and see it from the other person's viewpoint and then you don't send it and you just get on with life. But, you know, I think sometimes... It's very smart, uh, yeah, to, to write the email, let it sit in drafts and maybe check on it an hour later and if you still feel like it's worth sending... Yeah. Or oh, no, actually send, sleep on it. Yeah. Because the next day the heat's gone out of your bit and you see things a little bit more rationally and a bit further down the track... You know, the ability to see things further down the track is something that comes with age and experience and they're the things that when you're starting your business, you wish you'd had a little bit more of that mm. under your belt. What have been some of the, the other hard bits about running a business over the years? Uh, juggling staff is, a, is, a, is, a, um, is something that is, you know, frustrating in a small business. Uh, the biggest thing about... Uh, doing that is that often with a small business it becomes like a family and you it's different you know your expectations uh, have to be really clear on what you expect from individuals and it's hard when they don't meet expectation and then you've got to deal with the fallout from that so I think handling staff is is a big thing that we all in small Mm. business you, you do struggle with good people you keep forever and ones that don't you know um, it's not suited to them, then they've got to move them along. Over your journey, how has your thinking about staff and management evolved? Uh, well, initially I um, I spend more time now um, explaining things to people in what much more detail. Um, I know a lot of businesses have a lot of mm. documentation but when you run a small business, it's very hard to document every um, movement that an individual is going to make. It's a very time-consuming process. Um, yeah, I just think my selection, being able to pick whether someone's going to be able to do the job, has been more honed as I've got as I've gone along. As part of that, I mean, have you have you really refined your values and your company values over that course of time, yes. and to be able to therefore get the right people that correct? Fit? Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what happens. What, what would be more. some of those values? Well, I have a. I, I try to look after them. The workforce just has changed tremendously. Like this, especially with even not with necessarily younger people, with but with all people, the demands of family life and everything that that um, is that goes along with that makes you've got to have a very flexible mm. working place now. I, I mean, I work around my employees. You know, not in a not in a bad way, but I think it's a completely different relationship now than it was twenty years ago. 
Mm. You know, you have an expectation they're going to do what you ask them to do when you wanted them to do it. But it's got to be give and take. Mm. And I think that is probably the key thing now. It's mm. a different workforce. I mean, I've got young ones that want to have a day off because it's Valentine's Day and the girl got to take their girlfriend real... out for lunch. Oh. You know, like, you just... I know you, you sit and you go, oh, it's just ridiculous, <laughs> that's just crazy. But, you know, these... They're young. They're like 18, 19 sometimes and they've just got no idea, you know, that you've got deadlines and that sort of thing. You could explain to them, you know, like... Valentine's isn't even a real day. I'm sure that's the most shocking thing that's come out of this podcast. Think, <laughs> not, not really. But they're the sort of things that, you know, you deal yeah. with. And when you're running a business, you're flitting from, you know, dealing with a client um, to doing your book work and someone comes to you and tells you about they want to take Valentine's Day off and you think, well, should I... And then you start to think, should I to give him Valentine's Day off? You know, I mean, you start to even <laughs> contemplate that maybe that should be a day that you should be flexible with, you know, like, it just, it's just dementing. Anyway, yeah, no, they're the sort of things you've got, you have to be... But if someone's, like, a child sick or, you, you know, there are yeah. other things that happen in people's lives. In terms of um, things that have gone right uh, over the journey, um, I, I read... In our kind of um, in our chat beforehand, that buying your own premises was a was a really big positive. Extremely. Can you tell us why? Well, we were very lucky to be able to do that. I'm very fortunate. My husband um, uh, is good at that sort of thing. But um, no, we were we, where we were for 15 years, and it was fabulous. The rent was good, but what they're offering us in for the next couple of years, or the, or the foreseeable future, wasn't good. So we decided that. Um, we were going to buy our own premises, so we went about and did that. Um, and my husband bought a premises that had a tenant in it, and so I had three months where I had nowhere to go. So the business, I had to get out of my business premises, and then I had three months before I could get into the, pres- pre- the premises at uh, North Terrace before I could get into that. Oh, my God. My husband didn't see that as a problem, of course, but I was having a coronary. I thought, my God, how are we going to do this? Anyway, I was speaking to a client about my dilemma. Lucky I'm a woman because when you're a woman, you talk to everybody about your problems. So I was discussing this problem and uh, this client said to me, oh, look, you know, I've got, a cl- I've got a friend. I think she's a client of yours and she's got a business premises on North Terrace and she's got a warehouse out the back that's just become vacant. I'm sure she would be more than happy for you to move in there. So I rang her up, had a chat, and, yep, she was more than happy for us to move in there on a monthly basis. So that's what we did. We moved in there. And uh, so it was just no mean feat. We had to move the business twice. Factory, everything, all the shebang into one premises, and then we had to move across the road into the other premises. So it was shocking. What a nightmare. It was a nightmare. You're not in the business of kind of online or small kind of paper files or things oh, like that. Oh, we're, manif- we're making timber <laughs> picture frames. I mean, my goodness, we are just putting, like there's, I can't tell you the amount of rubbish. I mean, I think we, lit, we threw out three mini skips full before we even started to move. Wow. So, yes, no, it was huge. But it was so well, well worth it. Where we are now is a great position. Uh, we've got 45,000 cars a day going past and that is uh, of enormous benefit. So that, that has a real tangible impact on, it does. on business. So pure drive-bys, people saying, oh, Pure drive-bys, yeah. yep. Wow. And to this day, I often ask people, oh, what made you come in? I mean, because a lot of people are referrals, so I know how they've come, but sometimes I get these people coming in and I think, oh, I say, oh, how did you, what, what made you pick us? She's oh, driving past, we saw this in the front window and yada, yada, yada. So that's how I still get a lot of business from passing trade. 
I'm also interested in your support team. So um, over the course of the last 20 or so years, I'd imagine, I mean, you've mentioned your husband, but who else has, I guess, supported you, supported the business and, and have become a really valuable part of um, keeping you guys successful? Apart from my mum, which everyone's got to have a mum, who's just fantastic, she's just brilliant. Um, Michael from KMT Partners has been huge. He's instrumental in what we've done. He's uh, he's just a big picture person, and I and I even when you sometimes when you're running a small business, you have moments where you don't think big. You think small because you you know you get caught up in the moment. But Michael's always had the ability to think big. And I think he has an ability to stay close to his clients and, and track them. He's just moved me on to zero, which is a fantastic computer. I was anti it in the beginning. He said to me the other day, he said, there's only one more person that's more irritating than you to deal with, and that's my wife in business. <laughs> Well, that's a very – you guys have a very honest and open relationship then. That's oh, good. I do, I do. After about half of oh, 15, 20 minutes of talking, I said, Michael, I just can't talk anymore. I said, I've just – because he's just got so many great ideas. I start to vague out because, you know, the figures and all that sort of thing is just not – I'm not really interested in mm. it, really. I'd rather go and have a chat to someone than do the figures. But Michael's excited by flow charts and Christmas watts. And I said, Michael, I'm starting to think about my washing and – my next holiday, I just can't talk. I need a break. <laughs> Zero is amazing, though, isn't it? It's, um, I've, I've, I've been using Zero for a couple of years, and they're just absolutely oh, dominating small business. Now. It is. It is absolutely the best thing I have ever done. I used to have my mum used to collate everything, and she'd write all the checks. I'd sign off on it. Then it'd all have to go to a bookkeeper, and then it'd all go back to Michael. So in that chain of command... Things would go mm. astray. And then at the end of the financial year, I'd be sitting there thinking, my God, where did that $10,000 mm. come from? Where did Because I, I didn't do the books and I couldn't remember. Mm. Um, and I'd forgotten or someone had just hadn't gone down that chain. Mm. But now at zero, oh, it's instantaneous. It's all there in front of me and I can – and Michael's got exactly the same thing in front of him and we can everyone can see it. I think everyone should be doing mm. zero. And it's, it's crucial, particularly for small businesses, when cash flow is key. And I'd imagine that Absolutely. cash flow would have been a big issue for you guys as it well. It is, yep. I mean, I keep a lot of that. When you get, you get into a rhythm and you know your cash flow, if you, if you, you know, if you, mm. if you, I'm good at keeping track of all that. However, as the business grew, that got harder and harder to do. And now if I didn't have... Um, some of the computer packages I have for the framing side of the business, I wouldn't be able to do that. But certainly the zero gives me instantaneously how much money I've got outstanding, where it is, who's got mm. it. It's just great. I love it. Mm. Yep. Um, in terms of the future, where's your industry heading? It seems like quite a – I mean, can you maybe just get, start off with giving us a bit of context of, of the industry? Oh, well, uh, the, the, the core part of our business is picture framing, so the framing of artwork. Over the years, it's changed tremendously in the sense that uh, the print side, like the reproduction prints, uh, which is the sort of artwork you'd see in hospitals, hotels, aged care facilities, all that sort of artwork. Um, years ago, they'd print each image off 10,000 times and it'd be sitting in some huge warehouse in the States 
and all of us framers all over the world would order our print and they'd bond, bundle it up mm. and send it to us. But now, because it's digital, none of that happens. So if I order a print here, I can have it the next day and it is um, made to whatever size I like. So it can be made printed, printed on canvas or it can be printed mm. on paper in any size. So that's changed dramatically how we do um, the, that, the, the pre-production print side of the business. Um, the framing side of the business uh, has grown. Um, there's so many people now that order the p- uh, prints online themselves uh, and a lot of people travel these days. They all come back with artwork and they all want it framed so that's another big part of our business. A lot of what I frame is, um, you know, uh, mementos from people's travels, beautiful they might bring back oil paintings or uh, we do a lot of three-dimensional work where we frame um, boxing gloves. And we do, of course, we do footballs and we do guernseys mm. and we do all the normal f- um, framing things. But, yeah, no, the, the business, I think, has grown in that sense. We now ha- are running exhibitions, so we have a lot of local artists on board and they exhibit sort of, uh, I have three or four exhibitions a year and that's because we've got a great um, building with a, a lovely room which is perfect for doing exhibitions in, so I do that as well. Mm. But, no, framing is, I think, a lot of... You've got to stay ahead of... You've got to stay very current if you're doing framing. A lot of co- framing companies aren't current, but, um, no, we stay very current. In terms of, what, design and style or... Um... Uh, design, style, I mean, they're very... Clients very dependent on you for advice because mm. you're doing something visual that they can't actually see until it's finished. Mm. So that is a... That is a... Um, is a hard thing but yeah no I think being a backyard framer you know I don't mean this to be awful but it's very hard when you've got to try and serve clients and make the frames whereas I don't do that I see all the clients I don't make frames Mm. and I'm very much geared to ordering in exactly what looks the best around a piece of artwork I don't have stock of moulding which I sell to everybody like I don't just because I've got 500 metres of black moulding out the back, that doesn't mean everybody gets a black frame when they walk in the door. Mm. If you walk in the door, I pick something that suits your artwork perfectly and I just order it in and we make it. So that's important. Have you had any... I mean, you're dealing with very valuable stock a lot yes. of the time. Have you had any disasters or any... Yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah, I have. Not very many, but we have over the years just through human error and things you can't help. I mean, staff are human beings and things happen. But, um, yeah, we've had a few things. We have insurance, though, that generally covers that side of things. But over the 22 years, we've probably had about two pieces or three pieces that we've had to, you know, um, they weren't – one was a photo – particularly one that comes to mind was a photograph and we just had to buy another photograph which was $5,000 but we did that but there's sort of things that you know happen in every Mm. business no matter how good you are that does happen Mm. what are some of the more amazing um, pieces of art or interesting things that you've framed over the years I framed I remember I have uh, this uh, client and she's a, a lovely lady she's very well to do and she came in and she had a crocodile skin rolled up under her arm. Now, I'm talking, I don't even know a crocodile skin, but they're about three metres long. So that was rolled up under her arm and she came in with a walking stick and she said, 
oh, she said, I was wondering if you could frame this skin for me. She said, my son shot it in the Northern Territory and he thought I could make a handbag out of it. She said, but I think it's far too beautiful to cut up. So we had to frame this um, crocodile skin, which was three metres by, I don't know, about a metre. And I remember I thought, God, I've never framed a, a crocodile skin before. I thought, how am I going to attach this to the to the back of it, right? So I thought, I'll ring up taxidermists. Oh, my God. They are, a f- they are such a funny group of people. <laughs> One person I rang up and his answering service is just dogs barking. And then it stops and you've got to leave a message after the dog's bark <laughs> finishing. And then I remember speaking to another man. He said, oh, no, no. He said, you need to speak to such and such up in the hills. They're the reptile specialists. I thought, oh, okay, reptile. That's right. He's a reptile. A you know reptile. No, 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 my taxidermist. My God, you know. I said, okay, I'll ring them. Anyhow, yeah, they told me how to do it, to go and get leather uh, thong that I could sew this crocodile skin But we did it. It looked amazing. She loves it. It just looks fantastic. But those sort of things, yeah, great fun to frame. It's a certain type of demographic that you're targeting when when an old lady comes in with a rolled up crocodile skin underneath her arm. Absolutely. (laughs) It's just ridiculous. But, you know, those sort of things, we do so much three-dimensional work. We have, I've I've framed little tiny bikinis, like a little baby's first bikini. I mean, just ridiculous. They're just lovely stuff. And uh, for me, I am so, I just find it interesting. I mean, I probably have the attention span of a gnat, so I really enjoy, you know, everything I look at is new that's coming in all the time Mm. and different. So in terms of the future, uh, you You've already touched on the fact that you're not looking to grow this into an enormous no, business. But, yeah. I mean, are you thinking about things like succession? Um, what are no. What are the longer-term views? I'm not thinking of succession. None of my children are interested in the business, which is fine. I don't want them to be. Um, but I'm, I'm happy with my business um, going along... Uh, as it has done I'm not you know I just see it growing you know we may you know um, who knows we might buy another premises and move into a bigger um, situation I don't know but I'm just happy just to plot along Mm -hmm. with my business um, doing doing as well as it has done in the past and maintaining your lifestyle and maintaining my lifestyle yeah absolutely yeah awesome well Stacey, thanks so much for, for the chat. It was it was fascinating. We covered a, a lot of ground from um, business through to crocodile skins and everything in between. So thanks so much for, for sharing your journey and um, there were a heap of amazing insights that I think people can learn from. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to our interview with Stacey George from Smart Art. For more information, visit smartart.com.au. Ahead of the Game brings you real business stories that will inspire and help you grow. Please subscribe to our show and to find out more, visit kmtpartners.com.au. At our website, you can also find out more about KMT's accounting and wealth advisory services, which support individuals, their families and their businesses with accounting, business management, growth, compliance and advisory services. Get in touch at kmtpartners.com.au.